Welcome to Maximus Men Striving for Greatness. Welcome to another episode with us here. My name is Chris De Silva with the Life Family and Outreach Office in the Archdiocese of Sydney. And this morning, or this afternoon rather, or whatever time you're watching or listening to this, um, I'm joined by AFL legend and Catholic dad and coach extraordinaire, Steve Lawrence. Welcome, Steve. Hi, Chris. How are you going? Thanks for having me on the show. My pleasure. And Steve, you actually have the honour of being the third Steve ever on this show. Okay. Um, We've got Steve from the Life Family and Outreach team. We also had Steve Lear from Men Alive, and now we've got you. So, uh, so three Steves into the show. It should be a good one. Great. Now, before we get into our interview, I'd like to invite our men, as usual, to like our page on Facebook. If you haven't yet, it's called Maximus Men Striving for Greatness. And along with that page, we have a Facebook group a community of men helping each other strive for greatness, and that is called Maximus Men. So if you're on Facebook, give us a like and join our group for some manly Catholic goodness. Now, before we get into questions, I'm going to start with a prayer. Could you please all join me in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we love you. We invite you into this time with us today. Um, pray for this conversation to be fruitful, to reach men uh, in the depths of their hearts, to call forth greatness in them, um, especially to help them grow in the virtue of temperance, um, helping helping us all to balance our lives in ways that are holy, happy, and healthy. Um, we pray for the intercession of St. Joseph in this conversation, and that he'd lead us to become the men that you are calling us to be. St. Joseph, pray for us. And glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, beginning, it's now and ever shall be. World without end. Amen. Name the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, as I alluded to in that prayer, we are talking a lot about the whole work life prayer faith balance thing that we struggle to deal with and balance as men. And specifically, focusing on the question, the title of this episode, how much sport is too much? Steve, give us some background to your, your life. Um, I saw on a video that your dad played test cricket for South Africa. Um, so that impresses me immediately as a cricket fan and also a former South African. Um, but yeah, how did, how did you grow up and, and come to embrace your faith? Well, I guess uh, to answer your question from a sport and faith point of view, uh, which is the, I guess, the topic of our conversation today. Firstly, I just wanted to say I'm struck by, I love, I love the title of your show, Maximus, Striving for Greatness. It's very, it resounds uh, 
resonates a lot with me. And um, it's actually that uh, I didn't intend to say this, but it's the name of my own business, Altum Leadership Group. And the name Altum is Latin, meaning both high and deep. So right. it's the same idea, you know, to strive to the heights. Yeah. Um, but, but in order to do that, we have to go to the depths. Um, mm. so there's this whole dynamic between the external and the internal the relationship between the two. And I think some of the things we talk about today will uh, speak about that because most of us know that we're called to greatness, but we, we fall short or we know our weaknesses and uh, or we know our, our fra frailties. But yeah. It doesn't mean we're meant to live a double life. It's meant to, it means we're called to kind of have an integration because I guess the whole thing of balance, but um, and how do we live that in an authentic way without pretending, but at the same time, you know, um, without being false and, and uh, recognizing that it's really possible, but only with God's grace. So yeah, uh, it's great for me to, I'm happy to explore this idea. I love, I love to talk about this kind of thing. And um, I think it's good to state it up front. We're called to be great, um, which doesn't mean famous and rich and uh, important mm -hmm. or canonized <laughs> necessarily, but it just means, and often it's the small things that um, at least Begin by saying that's that's the truth. That's that's what we're called to. Is is a very important truth. Um, okay. So to your question. So my background, as you mentioned, I'm South African born. Came to Australia when I was four. I'm one of four boys, and um, in fact, a lot of sport in our family. Uh, we played. My dad was Test cricketer, as you mentioned, um, and played a lot of uh, cricket, especially and uh, hockey. Uh, I ended up playing Australian football. Uh, and, um, but we played a lot of sports in our family and there's a lot of competition between my brothers and I and backyard cricket and kicking footies and, you know, javelins, throwing javelins and, you know, sprinting and running and all sorts of things. So sport was a very big, very big part of our family life um, and my childhood and my youth, uh, a big part of my passion. I wanted to play cricket for Australia uh, was my hope. Footy was sort of came along a bit accidentally in one sense. Right. Uh, so you're the opposite of Shane Warne. <laughs> in what sense? Uh, Shane Warne wanted to be a wanted to be an AFL superstar uh, yeah, yeah, and ended up going, with the, going down the cricket route kind of by mistake. That's true. Although I yeah. think his uh, his success in cricket outweighs my success in footy. <laughs> but I mean, he was extraordinary as a cricketer. Yeah, yeah you're right. He he was a St Kilda supporter wanting to play for the Saints. And, uh, in terms of faith, um, probably my, so I, gr I grew up in Brisbane primarily and um, faith really entered my personal life in a deep way consciously when I was 12. Obviously, I, I was baptised as a baby, so I entered the life of grace in that sense. I was baptised on the 4th of May, so May the 4th be with you, uh, 1969, 51 years ago. On the feet on the, in the Church of Saint Joseph in Peter Maritzburg, South Africa. Yep. Um, and um, but our family life really, um, faith was not that important. At least consciously, uh, we said grace before meals. We did go to mass on Sunday, so that was that was important. But probably uh, the culture of our family was no different from the average family um, in in every other way, really. Uh, until around about the time when I was 12, uh, my dad had gone on a pilgrimage to Fatima uh, and he came back uh, and actually was very struck. I mean, he'd had his own faith as a young person um, 
he and my mum at the same time were having a lot of difficulties in their marriage. Um, faith was more important to my dad um, and mum left the church and, and there, there was a lot of conflict actually between mum and dad over a period of about five or six years. Mm-hmm. Some of that was quite a lot of antagonism towards faith from mum's side and um, in fact there was a, it was a very brutal um, period of five or six years in that. It was very wounding and it, but strangely it was actually in that context that my faith was forged um, my dad was introducing uh, little by little, you know, the prayer of the rosary, lives of saints, um, catechisms and things like that. Um, I, I often went to mass early mornings um, before school. Um, you know, John Paul II was very inspiring. He was assassin- The attempted assassination was on his life around about the same time. So the whole mystery of his pontificate um, and the conflict in my home was a real, it was a real persecution. And so the gift of faith was really entrusted to me in that time. And um, I was really given the Catholic faith uh, and it, it really is a grace. And that was nourished and um, developed over those years in that hardship. So that's really where it began and where prayer became important for me. Uh, probably I went through a very dark phase when I was about 15 and I had a really strong personal encounter with Jesus um, in a moment of darkness and uh, it really gave me a, a much deeper sense of I guess the mystery of the cross and resurrection God was really present and really interested and really um, Jesus was really personally invested in my life and I think that really shaped everything after that um, and so I've never really there's always been deepening of my faith but the fact of God's existence and his personal love has never been a question Wow, that's a powerful story. Do, do you think um, that sort of forged a special relationship between you and your dad? The fact that he was really committed to his faith and then, and then you came along. Um, yeah, what, what was your relationship like with him yeah, as a young teenager? It did. It's an interesting one. Um, my dad, who, when we came to Australia, he obviously had to start it from scratch. He couldn't bring anything out no money or anything like that. So I think probably during my early years, dad was traveling a lot. He was uh, selling cash registers. So he was less um, immediately present, but I always have a strong sense of his warmth. My mum was always around as a young, as a kid, you know, as a little kid, but probably dad's presence became stronger during my teen years from about this time. He had a couple of heart attacks. I mean, the stress and things like that. Okay. Um, and he actually became a bit of a home, home dad, a home, you know, mum went to school and was teaching. Mm. And so dad would walk us to school and lead us in the rosary before school. And yeah. he was around a lot more. And um, I always have had a very strong relationship to my dad. It's always been warm and affectionate. Um, I'm very conscious of the idea of being his beloved son. You know, he always calls me that. And so I have a, a great, um, you know, tender, tender relationship to my dad. And I think that's been a huge blessing for me. I remember a time, for example, uh, I remember an athletics carnival at, at my school when I was in year 10 and I came equal fourth in the 100 metre final. <laughs> my, um, and they didn't know who they would pick for the, for the fourth um, relay runner for the team against other, against other schools in the, in the regional thing. And so they had to have an after-school event between me and the other guy um, and the winner would be in the athletics, athletic team, you know, relay team. Um, 
and I remember dad came to that and it was really important for me to be in that team. And it was about four o'clock in the afternoon um, at Mount Gravatt uh, Football Club Oval. And we had the race and it was, um, it was over before it started really, about, about the 50 metre 50 meter line, the other guy ran away. <laughs> and he oh, won by about five or 10 metres. Um, you know, when you're striving, you kind of go slower. And, and uh, anyhow, I was bitterly disappointed. But Dad was there and he said, look, it doesn't matter. What matters is, you know, that you did your best. And uh, so I think, I think dealing with failure and um, not having my whole identity tied up with success was always important, particularly as I went along and, and you know, I was playing professionally and things like that. Um, it was never the be all and end all for me, even even if it was important. The other guy, by the way, was Damien Smith, who ended up playing rugby for Australia. <laughs> he, <laughs> about ten years, like he was a superstar. Um, he's, we haven't seen him much, but on the occasional, you know, school reunion or whatever. But um, that moment of Dad's presence uh, was an example of his. You know, Mum and Dad, both of them actually were very much came to our sport a lot. You know, we, the four brothers, like especially Summers, we'd be all four of us all on different cricket fields and mum would be going there and dad would be going there. And who's bowling and someone's batting? Oh, he's just got out. Let's go over there. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of that. Um, but yeah, so my, pre my relation to my dad was always very strong, uh, very encouraged by him. His example was very inspiring to me. And I think, you know, his experience, his prayer and his, you know, he's a simple man, hardly not really that educated. Mum was more of the academic, but um, you know, his 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 warmth and his uh, integrity have always been a strong encouragement and example. Something interesting that stands out from what you're sharing uh, to me is that I think of a lot of other professional sportsmen who you see interviewed, and they talk about how the game was just everything for them. And it seems like for you from a younger age, the faith was before the game, but then you still got, you still had success in, in professional athlete, in professional football. Um, yeah. Can you talk a bit about like what that experience is? I'm sure you were surrounded by other guys who they put their whole life into, you know, just playing the sport. Um, how do you, balance I suppose your faith and sport when it comes to becoming a professional in that sport and and uh, still keeping your faith as the highest priority still seeking that first okay um, there's a lot in that question several questions uh, well I suppose the first part of it is um, it's true I, when I was recruited by Hawthorne I was in year 11 so I was 16 mm. the first time I ever thought of playing AFL football was then when I was asked to do it. Wow. I was playing footy because I loved it. Um, as I mentioned, cricket was my probably number one and, and I did have ambitions for cricket and I was a good cricketer. You know, I was a fast bowler and a good middle order batsman. Mm. Uh, but the door opened for me and it was, I think, clearly God's hand in my life to give me the opportunity to come to Melbourne, which I did at the end of my year 12. Um, I thought I'd come down for a year and see how it went with, you know, sure. that kind of idea. I didn't have any idea that I would end up staying and playing for 12 years and playing in a premiership and things like that, playing interstate football, state of origin. Um, you know, I, so 
it was really a gift to me. I, I do see it as God's hand in my life. There, was, there are some things that I think, oh, that, that was surely just grace. Like, for example, my first game, kicked five, five goals in my first game, uh, things like that. Um, yeah, it was, it, well, yeah, there are a lot of factors around that which made it possible. And, and But it's true. I mean, I, I probably for the first, I was very fortunate to come to Hawthorne, which was a superstar team from the 80s. I arrived in January 87. Uh, Hawthorne had just won the premiership. It won, um, they played in, um, I think, uh, nine consecutive um, final series, and there was, seven consecutive grand finals and things like that. So in the first two years that I was at Hawthorne, so three years, Hawthorne uh, won, sorry, 180, it lost 87 and won 88 and 89. Now, I probably should have played in the 89 grand final, but I wasn't quite focused enough. And um, the guy who got in deserved to be in, but I, I was sort of prepared a little bit by the coach, Alan Jeans, who said, you know, if you, if you get yourself ready, you, you can be in. I played one or two little uh, games here or there in the senior team, but I wasn't really tuned in enough, uh, and I ended up not playing in that 89 grand final, which I realised afterwards was a lost opportunity, and it, it made me, it really put a rocket under me and said, look, you've really got to get going. Uh, so mm -hmm. I think I really um, put priority on football in a way that I should have from this time on. Um, sure, sure. I put a lot of extra work in and that kind of thing, which you need to do, you need to be dedicated. I needed to build up physically and things like that. Uh, and so that, then I became a regular player. Uh, and that was probably two years until the premiership when I was, you know, player of the final series. So it was a huge achievement for, the, for me to be doing that. But it's true, my, uh, my faith was always my first priority. Um, and, I mean, I think like anything, you know, anything that, that even good things, if they get in the way of our relation to God and, and authentic life they're, they're, they're not good <laughs> they become idols and uh, I think one of the definitions of sin is the misuse of good things mm -hmm. so of course you know Satan has nothing he doesn't create anything everything created is is from God and it's all good the question is how we use it and how we order those things in, in a proper way so obviously putting God first is the priority um, so life and prayer the sacraments and things like that so even when I was playing and traveling interstate quite a lot you know whenever we would play matches in Perth or Brisbane or Sydney or anything like that I always made a point of getting to mass um, and you know it's not that hard to get to mass uh, on a on a on a weekend in a yeah. cathedral in, in a city um, that's true there's usually a lot of masses and you just need to think a bit and plan a bit and you know um, so there 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 was some you know Making a priority like that was always important to me. Um, always, uh, I think I was a little bit of an anom anomaly in the footy club, to be honest, um, because it wasn't, you know, my idol, because I did have other things. I was studying a lot. I did three degrees while I was playing footy. I, Boy, helped, I was helped part of the, you know, Emmanuel community from France to be founded in Australia, in, in Melbourne anyway, in 93. You know, I was doing a lot of things like this. I was doing a lot of speaking in schools about sexuality and relationships and, um, you know, a lot of missionary kind of things. And I was odd, really, I guess. Uh, and But it was, uh, you know, at the same time, I, I saw that a lot of, a number of my teammates anyway were kind of intrigued a little bit or sometimes 
interested to ask things, especially if things life was difficult or whatever. Not usually in the crowd, <laughs> but in quiet moments. Yeah. Um, so whilst I think it was limited how I lived this kind of evangelizing life, I did try to do that a little bit. Um, probably matured a lot over the years and would probably do it better now in some ways if I, if I did. <laughs> Maybe not, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, I think um, balance is an important, interesting word because we tend to sort of think of it, I mean, many people, I don't say you, but many people tend to think of balance as a kind of static thing, like holding two things in attention in that way. Right. But actually, if you use, if you look at balance um, in the way that you might look at a sporting person who's balanced the way they move, for example, if you take a photo of a player who's usually extremely well balanced and you look at that still shot just in that moment, usually they're their bodies are right out of position. You know, like let's say someone who's evading someone, their, their one foot is over here and their body's right over there because they're in movement, you know. And so I think um, balance doesn't mean, it's not a static reality. Um, it's very hard to define balance, actually. And I think it's very much about, um, you know, uh, priorities. Balance is about priorities, about what's first. And so you look at a player who goes hard at the ball and really runs in really hard at the ball. Um, where their center of gravity is and things like that is based on them being able to, you know, we you use the term the virtues or heroic habits, habits you know. We need to hold all the, the virtues in tension. Um, so, you know, temperance was the one you prayed about. But courage, you know. Courage without temperance is, is foolhardiness, isn't it? Yeah, you yeah. just go somewhere and do something stupid. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, let's say uh, temperance without courage is, uh, is, can actually be a justify, justifying fear <laughs> and inaction. But uh, anyway, that's yeah. a slight diversion. But I think, um, so in terms of a life, um, I think to have a full life and a rich life, <coughs> calls for us to be an authentic life as it's envisioned by God for us and as we're personally called, depending on our vocation, our circumstances, our personal mission. So mm -hmm. sometimes the more important thing is to put aside, let's say, uh, you know, our work for a moment and to play with our children or, you know, uh, sometimes. So finding the right time. For me, one of the ways in which I try and this is maybe a roundabout way of answering your question, but uh, trying to do what's live a balanced life is to ask myself what's important now. That's my little acronym for win. You know, how do I win? How do I have a winning life? W I N. What's important now? And that requires a kind of discernment. It's not always automatic. You know, it's not always uh, mapped out too easily. Um, so, um, and one of the ways in which I try to do that is. Uh, Imagine myself tomorrow looking back on my today and saying, well, in this decision I'm making right now, what's the better decision? You know, uh, putting aside the heat of the moment and the pressures, but what would I have hoped to have done, let's say, if I didn't live till tomorrow? Um, and I think that helps to put things in the kind of proper order. It helps a lot for me anyway to think about that. Yeah. Sometimes an extra 10 minutes having coffee with my wife in the morning 
is more important than racing off and doing that extra email or, or whatever. Um, yeah, and even having a rest. You know, it's funny, I, I've been struck by this the attack on the Prime Minister about some, I don't know if you've watched it, but you know, he was been attacked a fair bit for being at the Sharks game, I think on the That's weekend. That's right, yeah. Uh, I thought someone, and then in Victoria, there was a contrast, you know, actually put out by his wife, the Premier's wife saying, oh, you know, look how hard he's working, the Premier, uh, and look at the Prime Minister sort of thing. I thought, oh, actually, I'd rather have a Prime Minister that takes a pause and makes good decision and ponders deeply than someone who's racing around uh, and doing a lot of things, but not necessarily making good decisions, uh, which I think in our case has been the scenario um, based on all sorts of factors that are not necessarily the common good. So I think having a bit of space and having a bit of rest and re rec recreation, restoration, uh, in order to sort of put things back in their proper place, having a bit of integration is actually very, very important for maximal life to use, you know, to, and for leadership and to really make good decisions, to think deeply and not to be rushed. So, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. There's, good, there's a need for self-knowledge, isn't there, to, to be able to do those things like using the, the WIN acronym that you mentioned, for example, to have the, the introspection to think, how would I think about what I'm what I'm about to do right now tomorrow? Um, we need to develop that that inner self. Um, we had Bishop Umbers talking about the inner life of man um, a couple of weeks ago on this show, and he talked a bit about that. But it, it is really important for basically any aspect of our lives, isn't it, to develop that interior ability to reflect, and um, in doing so, maximize making the best decision at the right time. You're right. It does does require self-knowledge because the things that I struggle with are not the same things that you struggle with and the things that help me to, you know, to be energised or to be motivated are not the same as you. So we have to know what, what are those things that really help us find our, you know, authentic self and those things that actually take us on a tangent off how do we make sure we mitigate against those things and things like maybe getting to bed early, uh, eating better, um, you know, little things that, that, that we have to do that can comprise a good life. I mean, a good life is made up of lots of good days and a good day is made up of hours. So how do we live our days? It's usually the little things um, and those little things should all serve to help us to better live our our vocation, our, how we love our wives or our, our, our family or, or how we do our work, how we, you know, relate to people on the street or in the neighbourhood or whatever, whatever we do, you know, how do we uh, do the little things really well? That's what I think makes a great life. Um, so when it comes to sport and that place of sport, I think it is an important place because we live in the body and men in particular, I mean, not, not only men, but men in particular, I think, do need to be physically pressed to be, to be the best they can be. I, I know a lot of men's movements, you know, go for hikes and do things like that. And there's a lot to be said about that, um, to be pushed, to be sweating, to, 
to hit the wall and have to go further on. And, and this is the, one of the values of being in a sporting team and doing any kind of high-level sport. It doesn't have to be elite, but just uh, pushing yourself with other people, uh, even just touch football out the back or whatever. Um, it does... It does something to us that helps us to um, put aside the worries, to focus, you know. Uh, so to build something, to sort of chop down a tree. <laughs> uh, I think there's a. I think it's really important for there to be uh, to sport to be a regular part of of, of a man's life and and uh, also a boy a boy's life, um, particularly in this time where there's so much more accessibility to computer games and things like that online yeah. in the world. It's such a trap, you know. Like I go, we have a park just behind our house. Where the, yesterday I was having a kick of the footy with one of my sons uh, and there's a basketball half court out there. It's a great spot, bike track and everything. But we've noticed, apart in, in, the, uh, in the lockdown, which we're now in our second version of it. Yeah. Um, in the lockdown, in the first lockdown, especially, um, People everywhere in the park, you know, people going for a walk on the track, riding bikes. And I hadn't seen things like that for years. Uh, and I think there's, I think people realise, oh, gee, I better get outside because I'm stuck in on a Zoom schooling all day long and things like that. And it's almost, you know, like the OD, the overdose of, of online interaction has really brought to Brought, brought home to a lot of people. We're really not made. We're really made for 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 interaction in person, you know, primarily like human interaction where we can. I mean, this is great that we can do this because you're in Sydney, I'm in Melbourne. But how much better would it be if we were in the same physical place? You know, would it be better, wouldn't it? Um, it would, yeah. And um, I think we all know that it's a much richer experience when we're with somebody in the body. We're in touch each other, you know, hold each, you know, shake hands, slap each other, laugh, you know, share a drink, whatever. Um, so I think, yeah, I think being in the body is an essential dimension of being human. And I think somehow physically pushed, even our bone structure for men requires, we're built for pressure, you know, to yeah. sharp more yeah. angular bones and things like that. We, than women, for example, whose bones are more curved. Not to say women shouldn't play sport. I'm not saying that at all. It's good that they do. I have three daughters and three sons. But um, men shape differently. And we're, we're made to be able to actually take external force, partly the defensive, protective dimension of our humanity is built in by nature, by God. Uh, but that's why we also thrive on sport, you know, why we need to be. And why, you know, my, my actual, my favourite training session in my whole footy career at Hawthorne was a one-on-one -on -one session with my coach, Peter Knight. And uh, if I can have a moment to tell you the story, because it's a... Please do. ...all of our things. So it was 1994, uh, and we actually had a fixture whereby our we had a match to play on Easter Sunday. And uh, I must say, I was still fairly young. I was 25. I was, I was struggling a little bit with the idea of playing sport on a Sunday, because it was my work. It was, you know... Yeah. Should I be working on a Sunday and so on? And I, I prayed about it. I said, oh, Lord, should I really not play this match as a witness or, you know, as a... Anyhow, in, in the course of my prayer and the weeks that came up, because I think it was about eight, March or April in that year, early in the season, 
I think I felt like the Lord was saying to me, you know, I want you to play. Um, but, you know, I said, okay, well, give me a chance to give witness to the resurrection, you know. Uh, and it was like, you know, Jesus was reaffirming the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So put put God first, but, you know, you'd be letting down your teammates, you'd be letting down, uh, you know, there's a lot of other factors. Anyway, so at the beginning of that Holy Week, the coach said, well, on this Friday, because it's a public holiday, we're not going to train at five o'clock when we normally would. We're going to train earlier at three o'clock. Now, my mind was like, hold on, this is Good Friday we're talking about. Three o'clock is a good Friday. Yeah. But uh, look, that's not like Sunday mass when you're going to be Saturday night, early Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. It's, we, you know, Good Friday on three o'clock is that's the moment of the passion, you know. Yeah. So, and this is a, a coach who didn't have a religious background, so he didn't really know. But I went up to him after the meeting and I said, oh, Nike, you know, and I tried to explain in simple terms. I said, look, this is, as you know, my faith's important, and this is three o'clock is the moment Jesus died on the cross. So that's when we have this ceremony of the passion. Uh, and he goes, "Oh well, there are times when you've got to make compromise compromises." <laughs> no. Well, I said, "Well, maybe, but this is not one." You know, I said, "Look, I don't want to get out of it of training. I'm happy to train, but not not at that moment." And he said, "Well, okay. How about this? How about you come down to the club at one o'clock? You and I train for an hour and a half, and you can be." back because I only live 10, 15 minutes from the footy club. You can be back at 3 o'clock. I said, great. So he and I had this, you know, really good training session. It was like a father-son moment, you know, wrestling and punching each other. <laughs> you know, <laughs> really a strong experience for me. I really loved it. And when I look back, I think that was the number one training session of my whole career. And he, he, was, a, he was still very fit. He was a superstar in the 70s. Um, so this kind of rough and tumble is really important, but actually, as it turns out, I was the player of the match on the Sunday in the Sunday's game, uh, and I was interviewed after the match on the radio on uh, radio in Melbourne called Three uh, AW, which was very big footy train, footy radio station. And there are a number of big personalities in that in on that panel, but I was sort of half naked standing in the dressing room, you know, with the earphones on, <laughs> <laughs> and the guy who was the um, the panel coordinator, he said, oh, so look, we're not quite ready here in the studio to talk about the game because someone, something or other, I can't remember. But so just tell us, how's life for you? What's what's new, Stephen? And so I'm thinking, here I am. I've been praying all week for a few weeks for an opportunity to give witness to the resurrection. And they're not ready to talk about the game. And I'm now being on, I'm on public radio being asked, what's new? <laughs> it's Easter Sunday, you know. So I said, well, I've got, great news. News. <laughs> I've got great news, Drew. Today is Easter Sunday. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And that's fantastic news. Anyway, this opened up a conversation that went for a good two minutes, which, as you know, on radio is quite a long time. It is on radio, yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, about values and a few things like that. And I was very struck in the months that followed how many people said to me they'd heard that interview and how they were touched by that interview. And it was quite an important lesson for me because I realized I'd actually been praying for the opportunity, but I don't normally pray for the opportunity. And, and it helped me to realize, gee, I need to be more, more active praying for opportunities to give witness, not only on radio. I didn't know it was going to be radio, but in normal life. And, and um, it was an important realization for me and, uh, 
anyway, it was one of those moments in the sort of that bridged my footy and faith world, mm. and public life and private life. Yeah, wow, well, that's an that's an awesome story. What a, what an opportunity. Share the faith on the radio. It was um, it was amazing. Yeah, Steve. I think I think God is much more keen than we tend to be that he would be promoted and publicised and presented in all the, I mean, like you're doing here, but in, in public life and right in the centre of the, you know, the Areopagus, so to speak. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's so needed and we don't have to be apologists. I mean, if we're just, you know, sharing the basic gospel kerygma message with people, especially when you've got those sound bites, that, you know, it can be used by the grace of God to open up hearts. True. I wanted to ask you as well, Steve, because um, I've, I've always wondered this when you see sports people in the news, why are so many sportsmen so disciplined on the field, but so many of them are really wild off the field? Well, can you speak to that a little bit? <laughs> well, I don't want to pass judgment. Yeah. Which this question lends itself to that if I wanted to. No, no names needed. No, no, but um, it's a very good question, actually. You gave me these questions ahead and I thought about that one a bit more than the others. Uh, and I think one of the reasons for that is I think we have a very clear vision in our culture for what is a successful sporting person. And there's a very strong sense of what needs to be done, what are the true principles that need to be applied, uh, the kind of commitment needs to be made uh, and so forth, you know, like with this eating and training and, um, you know, the sacrifices and so forth. Uh, so, in other words, it's linked to the vision. The vision of what makes a great sports person is very clear and we, we uphold those people in our culture. Whereas in terms of the, let's say, the, hum, the human, the vision of the human person, is less clear, it's not well presented, it's not well articulated in our mm. culture. And in fact, I would say that some of the greatest people in our culture are maligned, which is not unusual in the gospel, you know, Jesus himself was maligned and so too the saints. And we've seen, for example, the Cardinal spent, you know, 400 days in prison, for example. Um, and um, so I think the question is, we, I think we have uh, in our culture the vision of the a vision of the human person that it's not founded on truth, yeah. not, not founded on true principles uh, that are based on, for example, heroic habits that you, you know, or virtues that are, you know, kind of anthropology that's pinned to the the way in which God God reveals it to to us through through the scriptures and the teachings of the church, and magisterium about true freedom and true happiness you know in the commandments you know the first commandment god brought the people out of slavery into freedom and in order for them to stay in freedom they need to live the commandments and, and you know so i'm the god who brought you out of slavery and, and i think you obviously the gospel goes deeper to the heart of that um and the spirit of that and if we reject those principles we we have a different vision for the human person and what makes a happy, thriving human person. Uh, and therefore, we don't we, we, we go down other tracks and we, we believe other other visions that are destructive or are 
you know, unsatisfactory, but and bring about a lot of hurt. But often people don't know any better. Um, so I think that's my answer to that question. That we do have these incredible, gener incredibly generous and extraordinarily heroic sporting stars. And heroic in the sense of what they live to be athletes in the Olympics or whatever, or professional sport sports people but whose uh, personal lives is not necessarily grounded on true principles in the same way that their professional or their sporting elite lives are grounded on truths. They're based on truths, you know, about training and about eating and about, you know, technique and things like that. It's true. They're truths. I remember listening to a talk many, many years ago that I had in my car. It was a tape. Shows you how old I am. It was a tape, you know, the speaker in the car, and it was called "Formula for Success" by a guy named Ruben Garth. Uh, and I listened to that fifty times. Right. And he talked about success is as simple as A, B, C. A for accurate knowledge, B for better attitude, and C for certification professional. A, B, C, and the accurate knowledge is truth. You know, so this is true of you want to be a good, let's say, sportsman and how to how to kick a football, you need to apply certain principles to be able to do it. You don't, you know, uh, etc. And you've got to become better and better, have a better attitude, and you've got to keep applying and so on. I think we do that very well at the top level of our sport. We don't necessarily; those people don't necessarily always do it at a human level, morally, spiritually, socially, whatever. So that's that's how I would think about. It. That's really insightful. And I think with the, with the authentic understanding of what masculinity really is in, in God's plan is how he's created us as men, there's a great opportunity to use sport almost as an analogy. Not, it's more than an analogy because, as you said before, our bodies are, almost, are, are actually designed in such a way um, for competition um, and and for being used often in physically demanding ways so i mean i think there's great opportunities to teach you know young boys about or even older guys too it certainly isn't limited by age but i'm thinking about formation in particular with boys um, using sport to teach them at, by analogy what virtue really looks like um, yeah, can you talk about maybe how you've done that as a dad with your boys? How I try to do it. How you try to do it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I, I found um, my boys, and I have three uh, three boys, one who's 22, one who's 16, and one who's 14. They're all very different, and they have different interests. Um, but I do know that they love to be outside and doing sport with me. Uh, and playing sport in teams when I'm present as well. And they don't always need me to be present, but to be at least always supporting and encouraging them. Um, yeah. You know, I think, I think uh, so for example, yesterday I mentioned oh, my youngest son, Ambrose, who's 14, we had a kick of the footy outside for about half an hour. And, you know, it was not unusual, but there'd been a few little difficulties in the course of the day, you know, <laughs> having to sort of make sure he did this or that. And so there was a sort of a slight, I would say, 2% tension or 5% tension that existed there. 
Yeah. But standing out there, like we were only 20 metres away, kicking the ball about this and that. And then we had this incredible, this conversation out of nothing just emerged to talk about. And Ambrose is pretty cerebral. He likes to talk about politics. And oh, what do you think about Trump? And he's not unu- He's pretty unusual for a 14-year-old, but he's very well read. <laughs> he's got all the Harry, all the, you know, Lord of the Rings and, uh, you know, Agatha Christie and high-level reading as well as Geronimo. Yeah. You know, he, he's a, he's, He's interested in the world and it's fascinating. And um, we ended up having this great chat. And by the time half an hour had been over, there was something had happened. You know, something had happened. It was much more than just sport. Uh, and I think uh, it was, and it wasn't even really sport. It was a pretty casual kick, um, kick of the footy. And I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but I, I do know that, and for Jerome, who's the next one up, who's 16, you know, the same thing. If you just have to go out, have a shot of basketball or go for a jog or do something together. And for him, it's an opportunity to sort of speak. And I think for fathers and sons, there's sport is an absolute goldmine to connect. And not just on the sport level, but just to be there. And then, then I'll talk about, you know, often beginning with, oh, what happened with that team and this team there? And you know, the mark of the day. And it, then it'll be about, oh, yeah, and then it'll be freer to talk about things that maybe they won't tell you straight after school. <laughs> or, uh, you know, and so I think um, I think it's a, there's a, a door, a key, just to go and do stuff together, even if it's chopping wood for the fire. You know, this is what we, we need these in Melbourne because um, it's always cold. Or, uh, you know, walking the dog, you know, around the creek or something like, just some time together. But movement... I think we need movement. I think women don't as much. They can sit together more easily and just have a cup of tea and chat. Um, and of course, guys can do that too. But I think if you go and do something with a guy, then you're actually, then a conversation happens. And I think it does yeah. afford a kind of connection in a way that um, that often doesn't without it. Uh, and that depends also on different personalities and things like that. But terms of virtue, uh, I think it is true to, um, you know, it's good to be able to say, okay, I'm at that level. How about we move to that level? We need to put some work in. Um, you know, we have the, the supernatural graces of faith, hope, and charity, and so on. But the virtues need to be worked at day after day after day. Habits develop into character. Uh, and, if, and how do you become an honest person if you're not one? Well, you start actually being honest. You start doing the acts and so I think we can I think to be able to actually have something like oh gee to get better be a better cricketer make sure you get your head over the ball you know so to be able to have have an environment where you can actually give instruction on something that your son really wants and so you're welcome to give some advice is actually important especially during the teenage years when they're less receptive you know they yeah. finding their own path and necessarily so, but so they feel you and experience you doing that. This is what happened with my dad. Um, perhaps this is the best way to give you an answer to your question. My dad was an orphan and he went to a Jesuit run boarding school in South Africa, uh, St. George's College. I don't know if you know it, but in Rhodesia or Zimbabwe, um, in, in Salisbury or, or Harare. And he went there as an or, uh, as a, as an orphan in uh, when he was a fourteen year old, and um, one of the priests there took him under his wing, 
um, and taught him how to play cricket. He'd never played cricket before. My dad was tall and gangly. Uh, and this was a, a boarding school and dad was a boarder. And this priest was one of the, the masters at the school. And he said, look, let me show you how to play cricket. I think you can be quite good. And so he taught him, just started by saying, get your shoulder around and, you know, just techniques and how to do it. And he stood and watched him. And, okay, he said, now bowl 50 balls and put put on this handkerchief, try and bowl on, the, on that, hit that handkerchief because that's a good length. And it was just the, the being interested, being present, which actually is the foundation. You give yourself permission to now pass on virtues and messages about life and advice. You don't do it from a missives from a distance. You do it, I'm with you on your thing, you know. Um, and it's true about watching movies or doing things like that. Be in their thing, you know. Uh, and then, of course, you can bring them a little bit more into what you want to, and you bring them together. But... And so it was in the course of this teaching my dad how to play cricket um, that he passed on life values. Like, you know, you, don't, you, know, you, don't, you know, when, you, when he was becoming better, getting wickets and starting to play more senior, you, you know, touring a little bit, he's saying, look, you don't need to get drunk to, to be one of the guys in the team. You, you can just drink juice or coke when the other guys are drinking. Mm. It doesn't mean you're above them or whatever. You just say, oh, no, thanks. I, I don't really like beer or whatever. And, you know, things like this. Uh, and it was this priest who sort of gave him advice little by little by little in the context of teaching him how to play cricket. So I think now not all of us are sportsmen um, and some, some men and some fathers have other ways in which they do that. There's some other interests, some other hobby. But I think we need to find ways where we can connect, where we, we, we can pass on something that's our passion, that our love, and that's their passion and their love. Of course, we have to be careful not to impose on them, you know, the desire to be a top level this or that and find, try and discover their interests, which might be quite different to ours um, and still encourage those things. Um, yeah. So anyway, I think that's a handy, I've always found that handy to think about uh, when I'm trying to think, find ways, new ways of um, connecting with my sons and, and, and you know, wanting to pass on my values and things that I feel are important, spiritual realities or, or, or moral things or, or, you know, or virtues or give them another perspective, you know, than sometimes the ideology that gets shoved on them everywhere else. So, yeah, there's a few thoughts. No, it's great advice. And something I'll certainly take on board. I've got two boys who are too young to play sport yet at the moment, but um, I know they'll be keen, especially because... I've got a 20-month-old who loves just picking balls up and throwing them. Yeah. <laughs> Start seeing signs early on, don't you? Yeah, I, was, I, I went and stood in front of him with the cricket bat the other day and um, he, he started throwing the ball at me. And it got to the point where he realised he needs to pick it up and then go back to the mark and then throw it again. <laughs> so it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, Steve, do you think men should be playing sport on a regular basis working out on a regular basis um you know how much how much emphasis should be placed on sport or our general fitness um given that that can take a lot of time and we also want to balance it with our family relationships and our work and our faith how do, how do you think that balance should look yeah yeah again it's hard to say exactly you know to give numbers or how to Put right. ratios on these things, but I think, well, God should be first, 
you know, your marriage should be, you know, second if you're married uh, and your children, you know, uh, very close. I think marriage is first, actually, because the best way to serve your children is to love your wife. Yeah, I agree. Um, and obviously the foundation of the life of the family is the relationship between you and your spouse. And so that has to be constantly worked out, even during the parental emergency time when you've got little <laughs> crying babies and tough, know, tough, yes. tough go. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, so, but I think you have to, you know, prayer has to be part of your life and your personal life and your family life. Even if it's a short time, I think regular and daily, you need to eat food. So you should have meals at a table, not watching television or doing things like that. I think you should really limit things like television and screens. Yeah. A lot. Um, sport is important. Getting outside is important. Um, working, doing your work well, as you know, in the timely fashion is important. Um, so how much time to put on each of those is hard to measure, but I think you've got to look at, you know, can you manage everything you've got to do? Are you doing too much? Um, are you not doing enough? Uh, but certainly good health, physical health is actually is actually very important for your whole overall well-being, your spiritual health. As, like if, you know, a lot of sp great spiritual masters, you know, sometimes they will ask you very very basic questions like what time do you wake up? What time do you go to bed? What are you <laughs> eating? When are you eating? Uh, do you yeah. eat between meals or whatever? Yeah. Uh, before they start asking you, you know, about your prayer life <laughs> How much scripture do you read or whatever? Um, so I think uh, I think you did, like I know recently I've lost a bit of weight because I was a bit overweight, more than a bit overweight. And I actually did that simply by, uh, you know, I lost about 15 pounds. Um, being as nearly two, two metres tall, I hit it like more easily than most, but I had was quite overweight. And I, I, I lost 15 k's over about three or four months and I've kept it off not by doing anything radical, but simply choosing not to eat between meals. Uh, and that's all I've done. And I've, I've also cut out soft drinks or anything like that, uh, any sweets. Um, and, you know, I've tried to be much more regular with my exercise. But for me, weight, being overweight as a um, one of my sons, there's my wife, still on the radio, <laughs> um, has, is a lot more to do with eating than it is exercise. So yeah. for me, like it's 80 80 percent mm. so eating, but I do need to reg, you know exercise, and, and I think riding my bike or doing stuff with the kids is pretty important. You, you mentioned about gyms. I'm not a fan of gyms. Um, mm -hmm. I think if you're part of a sporting team, it's good to be in that kind of gym. Uh, a lot yeah. of the public gyms are, yeah, you know. <laughs> personally, I can't be in a gym because they take my mind. Uh, especially with all the music videos and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, the music videos are horrible, yeah. Horrible, you know. Um, and you're trying to get fit and you're looking at things that are not not very helpful for your own heart's desires, you know, like there's a yeah. lot of things like that. So you have to be prudent. We're men uh, and, uh, you know, we're made to – we're very visual uh, in the way that we uh, – connect with the world and how we're attracted to women is much more vis visual than it is the other way, mm. you know? Uh, so we have to be very careful what we look at. Um, and uh, I know for myself, it's very, I have to be very prudent about that. So, um, you know, it's just, it's just unhelpful. So there's no point going to the gym if I'm thinking, oh, this is going to help me be physically healthy. 
but in fact it's creating lust in my heart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that can yeah. go all sorts of directions. So um, I just don't do that at all. Um, and I think they're the, they're the sort of decisions I'm talking about. Like how do we put God first? How do we put our marriage first, you know, as a priority? Well, spending an hour on a, on a running machine and looking at, you know, sexy women basically writhing in front of you is... <laughs> I mean, I don't know any man for whom that wouldn't affect them in a very uh, erotic way. So, of course. so I think, well, that's just not a good decision to do that. Um, and I think we have to think of all sorts of things like that. For some men, alcohol is a real temptation. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's not, and I don't claim any virtue about that. I can sit in front of a glass of wine and not even drink it and not bother. But for men who have a weakness with alcohol, they you can't even have a sip or go near the pub, otherwise they will be drunk. And then that has all sorts of other effects. So avoid, you know, so prudence is the other virtue. Like you've got to know yourself. You talked about it. Um, computer games is another one, gambling, whatever. You only need one virtue to destroy your life. Uh, sorry, one, 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 one vice. vice. You don't need all seven. You don't need all seven deadly sins. Yeah, you no. just need one and you need to feed it in order to destroy your life. You, you don't. So if that's the one thing, whatever the one thing is, that kind of is like the monster that you have to defeat, you've got to take that as a top priority. Mm. And if it's, if it's got, a, got a foothold in your life, you need to just kill that thing. And you need to get to the sacraments. You need to get confession, word of God. You need people around you. You need to talk about it. Uh, you need to be prudent to avoid it. There's no point taking on a dragon that you know is going to beat you. Just stay away. Yeah. I love in the letter of St. James, it said, resist the devil and he will flee. So he has no power. In fact, I love that you prayed to St. Joseph because one of the titles of St. Joseph, as you know, there's actually a picture of St. Joseph. Beautiful. One of the titles of St. Joseph is Terror of Demons. Terror of Demons, yes. And, you know, I'm struck by this title. Um, and I think we, we, we are called to be terrors of demons. Rather than us being afraid of them, they, they're actually afraid of us. But yeah. we have to be really deeply rooted in Jesus, you know, in the Holy yeah. Spirit and prudent. Um, you know, St. Teresa of Avila talked about that, and she was one of his absolute heroes, or vice versa. Yeah, he was a hero. She said, the demons hate me. They, they're, they're terrified of me. I'm thinking, is this woman arrogant or what? Yeah. <laughs> but she knew. She knew that really God was with her. I mean, Jesus said, by the finger of God, I cast out Satan. But he has no power unless we, we engage, you know, free, let him in. And that's, that's the key there. And it's often on these little things that I've talked about, mm. on those vices, you know. So self-knowledge, if you have a particular fault or weakness, you have to, you have to win that fight. And it doesn't mean you're going to win the battle. You might lose lots of battles, but you must win the fight. And that's why Jesus died on the cross for that one and for everything else. But, uh, but we have to really invite him in and we have to fight like heck to, to win that. And, and this is why sport is so important because we realize, you know, if you do boxing with someone or wrestling or you're fighting someone and they pin you to the ground, would you just lie there? You've got to get up. You've got to do something that's going to get them off. Uh, yeah. So you've got to poke them in the head or pinch them or 
just knee him in the balls or something to get him off. And then, okay, then they get you again. And the, the more you fight, the stronger you get. Yeah. Like sport is great because that whole competition, that whole battle to overcome yourself, to beat the other guy, the other team or whoever, is a real, it's an analogy, but it's also a genuine experience of the victory that we have to win, the real victory. I mean, I've got a, that's a, that picture up there is of the premiership, 1991. Okay, yes, I can see that. And, you know, it's, it's fitting in AFL anyway, you have a, you have a premiership cup, you know, it's a, it's funny, when I go to Holy Communion and normally when we can receive from the chalice, you know, this is the real victory. Mm. You know, when we hold the chalice. The cup, yeah. The chalice, this is the victory of Christ, the, his victory, which it's not our victory. We participate in it. It's a pure gift. We, we didn't do anything to, to merit it. Mm. But we, it's a gift, but it's also a task. We have to say yes and we have to fight to enter that, that, that reality. Uh, it's the mystery. It's always both, you know. First, the gift, but it's also a task, and that fight is what we know. We all, we every single one of us live. And when we look at a hero, like when we look at our sporting teams and our Australian cricket team or the Olympic team or whoever, and, and we do love. There's something about the glory of that, isn't there? That the victory, yeah. because there's something in us that's yearning for this victory, wanting, needing right. this victory. It's like this whole call to greatness, you know, the maximal. We are made for greatness. Um, and humility is the path of greatness. They're not, the two are not contradictory. They, they need each other. Sense of greatness without humility is just pure arrogance. I'm somebody because of me. But, uh, and humility without a call to greatness is actually self-deprecation, unhealthy self-deprecation. It's not really the truth. In order to, we have to have a vision that's high but we go to it by lowering ourselves. You know, it's like Jesus who didn't count equality with God, but lowered himself, took on the form of a slave and died on the cross. And then God raised him up. He is great. He's the holy and great one. And that's how we're called to, to be. We're called to follow that pattern yeah. by being humble, by, by serving others, um, but recognizing that in, in the little things that we do, we attain that gift by God's grace. Um, but yeah, the, the role of sport, it does capture our psyche because I think deep down, it's very much represents, it's an icon for us of the ultimate victory, the ultimate, you know, success, the ultimate glory that, that sport points to. I think it's why we, we love it. Yeah, I love how you've sort of recapitulated that. That was the initial point that you hit on, I think, with the first question that I asked that. We, we have to go deeper inside to reach greater heights and um, just hitting on that point again, but it's it, the victory is, is Jesus's victory that, that we are participating in. And um, yeah, certainly the, the drama and the thrill of sport, I think is analogous to the spiritual life in a lot of ways. And I also just think, just to reiterate, the importance of, of sport or just exercise. I think of, you know, this year I've kind of tried to commit more to exercise more than I had in, in the past. And I, I've probably worked out more this year than I have, you know, since I was in high school, which is more than 10 years ago now. Um, and, but I'm just noticing the holistic benefits that has, like, first of all, 
I can be more present when I'm praying. So it's benefiting my spiritual life. Um, it's easier for me to wake up in the night to help with the baby because I've got, I've just got more vitality in me. Yeah. Um, and as you said, the eating well goes with that too. That's something else I've been trying to work on. Um, yeah, it's, it's amazing how many things when we take care of our, our temple of the Holy Spirit that, that our bodies are and, and treat it that way and see it that way that it, it actually flows through to every other area of our life too in many ways um well, we're, we're one person integrated body mind spirit you know yeah if we take if we neglect one whole part of who we are it's going to have an impact on the other one vice versa yes, yes. um well we've already gone for a little bit more than an hour here steve so it's yeah there's so many different um directions that we could take the conversation in um, but we probably will have to bring it to a close and, and have you on another episode down the track. I'd love to. Uh, yeah, but before we do that, um, we like to get all of our guests to issue a little bit of a challenge to the guys listening or watching this. Just something simple that they can implement on a daily basis or maybe, you know, just once or twice over the next seven weeks after they, seven days, sorry, one week after listening to this um what would you challenge men to do to become you know that one percent closer to to greatness uh i would see i would uh, maybe i'll just go back to what i said earlier about what's important now and perhaps yeah. on the evening um of of the day before you can ask yourself what are the three most important things that I have to do tomorrow? Yeah. And do and do them. <laughs> and actually put them in the morning, like do them as early as you can, like make them, now maybe it's not always possible to do it this way, but do them in the, uh, in the order of importance from first, second and third. Um, I've, I've found I've challenged myself to do this. And what it usually means is the first thing I do is to pray. Yeah. Um, have a cup of tea, coffee with Annie. Uh, and so, you know, my God is first. My wife is first in terms of human realities. Mm. Um, and, and there might be other specific things. But I think if we put off, put off the things that we think we shouldn't be doing, like even temptation, sometimes we have to, oh, you know, the devil tempts us or our history tempts us or whatever. So, oh, yeah, I'll do that, but, but later. <laughs> I'll do it later, you know. Rather than putting a priority over the temptation, I'll better do that right now <laughs> um, and put off the important things. Do the important things first. Um, and then you can enjoy you know, plenty of time to do lots of wonderful things otherwise. But to do the most important things first, uh, even, uh, even just three things. But write them down, tick them off. Uh, I think that will... In terms of balance, that, that goes a long way because you, you're doing the important things all the time. Every day you're doing the most important things. They're never neglected. Mm-hmm. That would be one thing. Yeah. No, I think that's great. I think that's, that's perfect. That, that's the exact, the exact kind of challenge that we're looking for. And I think that the guys uh, watching or listening would appreciate. Great. Uh, would you like to say a closing prayer for us? Love to. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for, for all the men who are listening to this now that we've shared this time together and through our computers or our phones or wherever. And I pray for each one of them, Lord, that you can pour out your Holy Spirit upon them, give them power for their interior life, give them the strength to overcome those battles that they, that they face, show them that they're not alone and help them to find at least one or two other men who can share the deepest, most difficult and the most wonderful parts of their life, often very hidden, that they have the courage to speak to share and to open their lives up, to be vulnerable and to trust in brothers. And I pray, Lord, that uh, we may all um, know your love and know that nothing we can do can separate us from your love. So no matter what we've done, that your mercy is far, far beyond that and to return quickly whenever we slip and fall to come to you, to come through the sacrament of confession to come to Holy Communion and to give, get the strength from you that you want to give to us. I thank you, Lord, for our faith. I thank you for the gift of your love. I thank you for Chris and for this, uh, this program. May it be very fruitful and uh, abundant in its um, blessings. I especially pray for St. Joseph's prayers and protections over all the men here and their families and their work, their finances, um, their vocation. Um, and their role in the world, their mission, uh, that it can be fruitful lives and that they can br bring many men to heaven and many people to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, now, Chris. If, if men want to uh, read your book or um, yeah, follow more of your work after this conversation, where can they get more information uh, okay. about that? Um, well, my, uh, my website is altumgroup.net, A-L-T-U-M-G-R-O-U-P.net. Uh, I can be contacted through that um, or LinkedIn. I'm accessible there or Facebook. Um, I, think, I think my book, I didn't know I'd be getting an opportunity to promo <laughs> my book there, uh, five, uh, Make Your Mark, Five Hidden Keys to Great Leadership. Is being sold in the Sydney bookshop. The mustard yeah, seed. The mustard seed. Right. That's right. If you're in Sydney, um, otherwise, I think you can get it in Dimmicks. I know I saw some in Dimmicks. So, um, yeah, I'm happy to be. I'm happy to people to make contact with me in any way, and uh, love to love to share your life and pray together or whatever. Listen to your stories. Awesome. Uh, yeah. All right. Thanks, guys, for listening, and thanks again, Steve, for being here. We've got a tremendous amount of respect for all the great work that you're doing. Um, stay tuned for the next episode of Maximus. Um, until next time, God bless. Thanks, Chris. No God bless. worries.